Hello, welcome to I Love Rock and Roll. I'm Ken Krantz. Uh, Chip is off today with me. You're you're turning into like almost the semi permanent guest co host. I'm like your Joan Rivers, Johnny Carson's Joan Rivers. Right. Or wait, was Jay Leno Johnny Carson's Joan Rivers? I've, you've already <laughs> lost me. <laughs> I'm already. Chris Covert. This is number number six for me, I think. Is it? I think so. That's too many. It's, I have it's to about five too many. But whatever. <laughs> um we have with us, I'm excited. We have uh we have a local musician. We can say legend. We can, we say, can say legend there, yeah. The We're okay. Um our guest today was a member of the legendary Miami Horns, was an original member of Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, has toured with Bruce Springsteen. Yes. Uh, concert promoter and is now the chairman of the Light of Day Foundation, which we will get into. But welcome to the show. To the show. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have gummies for breakfast? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a little high. If I'm you a, do, I haven't eaten yet. <laughs> <laughs> I might be a tiny bit high. Uh, welcome, Tony Pellegrossi, to the show. Well, thank you. Oh. Nice to be here. Nice to have you. Yeah. Um, let's. Uh, I know we're you're here to talk about the light of day. There, there's a bunch of concerts coming up. Um, let me get some of that information out now. But um, there's a bunch of concerts coming up from January seventh to the twentieth, uh, and it's over a hundred artists in fourteen venues throughout the tri-state area. You got that right, and yep. um, it's for a great cause. It's to battle Parkinson's and ALS, and um, and PSP and PSP. I, I'm going to be honest. I left that one out because I don't know what PSP is. And I'm going to tell you. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, my mother passed from PSP. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, it's, it's a Parkinsonism. Um, it's a degenerative neuromuscular disease like ALS and, and Parkinson's. And it's terminal. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike ALS, where the terminal period is between three and six years normally, um, PSP, uh, the terminal period is usually between seven and 12 years. So it's actually even more agony and horror for everyone involved. Um, But yeah, um, PSP is uh, the, I guess, anagram for uh, progressive supranuclear palsy. Okay. The abbreviation. And uh, it's very rare. It's very rare. It's rarer than ALS and it's much more rare than, than Parkinson's. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, none of the, you know, they they haven't found cures or even particularly effective therapies for either ALS or Parkinson's or uh, PSP. They have some therapies for Parkinson's that seem to at least abate the symptoms for a period of time. Uh, But ultimately, um, ALS and PSP are terminal. People with Parkinson's, depending on the severity, which which varies from person to person, uh, can live out. Uh, you know, uh, into their seventies and eighties, right? Easily, yeah. Um, not easily. That's the, that's the wrong word. But they can they can do that. Um, uh, but not ALS and Parkinson's. Yeah, that's a death sentence. Yeah. Huh. Oh. How are we supposed to do comedy? Yeah, I know, this? I know. <laughs> I we should have closed with this. <laughs> I was going to say seventies and eighties is still a longer life expectancy than most comics. 
Yeah. <laughs> and musicians. And musicians. Right, yeah, 27 is the mean age for musicians. The 27 Club. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, it's got, that's weird because that club has very cool members, but it is not a club you want to be a part of. No, you know, and, and the weird thing is, as a kid, uh, this is long before anybody was calling it the 27 Club or long before I recall anybody ever making a connection between these artists passing at 27, these rock artists and blues artists, um, I always thought I was going to die when I was 27. Yeah. And I don't know why. And I was terrified till I got to 28. <laughs> That's funny. Ken's career died at 27, and uh, we're still waiting for the revival. But <laughs> A lot, A lot of death here. A lot of death here. So you you play trumpet. Yeah. Um, I tried. I did my best. Yeah. Well, you you were in you were in the Miami Horns. Barely. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you what do you? <laughs> no, mean I was by there. Me? I was there. Yeah. Um, how how did you hook up with Southside Johnny? <laughs> you know, it's a funny story. I'm. Ed Mannion, who was uh, joined the Jukes with me, and Ed has continued to play. He's played with Robert Cray and uh, Bruce. He's, he's been playing with Bruce uh, in the Pizza and the Seeger Sessions project. Mm -hmm. Has been touring with the E Street Band for years when they have a horn section. Uh, played with you know played with Little Steven and the Disciples of Soul. Was their horn arranger for the, the the most recent incarnation, and it was in the first incarnation of the Disciple of Souls. So Ed's been continually playing um he and i were playing in probably the worst club band that you've ever heard <laughs> with the worst name papa banana and the bunch <laughs> horrendous right it's pretty bad yeah it's pretty bad well the band was even worse <laughs> and i don't know if you're out there mr drummer i can't remember your name but you were the worst drummer i ever played with <laughs> <laughs> and so, so one day in a rehearsal, and we were rehearsing in Lincroft. Mm -hmm. um, one day, every he would speed every song up to the same tempo. So finally, <laughs> I just looked at it. I, I kicked my music stand over, being the petulant ass that I could be, <laughs> and still can be. Um, I kicked my music stand over. I almost jumped on the guy and beat him to death, but I didn't. And I said, "I'm done. I quit." Um, you're the worst drummer I ever play. I can't stand it. And I was a kid, right? I had no business telling anybody that. But um, so I looked at Ed and I said, what are you going to do? And he goes, I quit. <laughs> so, so we literally, we walked up the steps to the street and, I, and he looked at me and he goes, now what are we going to do? And I said, I don't know. Let's go to the Stone Pony. So we went to the Stone Pony and the band called The Shakes with Vinny Lopez, who was mm -hmm. playing drums, who was Bruce's first uh, first E Street band drummer. Um, they were playing there and Vinny and Ed knew each other. And literally that very night, Vinny walks up to us and he goes, you know, I have this friend who's looking for a trumpet player and a baritone sax player. And Ed go and, and, and he turns to Ed and he goes, well, you play alto or tenor, right? He goes, no, no, no. I'm playing baritone now. <laughs> and that friend I just started a minute yeah, ago. Yeah, right. right yesterday. <laughs> I had a dream. <laughs> and so literally, you know, it was like, you know, we sat down at the soda fountain on Hollywood and Vine and suddenly we we're in the big time. 
And literally that night, he said, I'll call my friend Southside and tell him I met, I have this trumpet player and baritone sax player. And a week later, we were in the band. Nice. So. That's amazing. <laughs> Pretty amazing, that's, right? That's um, <laughs> Hollywood and Vine stuff, you know? It's like you've got uh, this terrible drummer to thank. I do. <laughs> I do. Thank you, wherever you are. <laughs> I hope you're not drumming anymore, except for your own pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Although, can you imagine the merchandise for, what was it, Big Big Papa Banana, Banana and Papa the Bunch? Papa Banana and the Bunch. I mean. Yeah, great merch, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Yellow hoodies all over the yeah, place. Yeah, it, it was probably actually a great name in, in disguise. <laughs> I mean, merch wasn't such a big thing yeah. in, in 75. <laughs> merch is like, that's the whole thing now. Right? I know. Like, I, who, I just, I forget who it was, but I just heard. A, I heard a pretty big name musician saying that their job now is basically traveling T-shirt salesperson. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's true. You know, yeah. I mean, they make, you know, first of all, the stuff is so overpriced. Yes. Everybody's getting a piece of it. The venue's getting a piece of it. And of course, you know, the, the company that makes it gets gets their piece. And so, I mean, you go and you buy a T-shirt for $50, you know, because it has the Rolling Stones on it. And that T-shirt really ended up costing them, you know, fifteen. Right. You know. So, and then hoodies are like one hundred and fifty bucks yeah, or whatever. It's, it's, it is. You have jackets for three hundred dollars. Well, I had uh, two thousand CDs printed up before I realized no one has CDs anymore. Everything's download. <laughs> so, I still have a uh, one thousand nine hundred and ninety eight CDs left. If anyone's <laughs> interested. Well, you know. Um, I manage a band called The Weaklings, mm -hmm. um, and we still print CDs because people buy them. I don't think they play them, but they want something for us to sign, for the band to sign. So it becomes just like a, I don't know, like a piece of paper with a it, CD in it. Yeah. it. It's a good way to support bands you like, too, even, even if you don't have something to play it in, buying a T-shirt. Buying a T-shirt or buying a CD does so much more than, you know, you could stream their music 24-7 for a month and, and they'll, they'll make like $9. Maybe. You're lucky. <laughs> You're lucky. So yeah. um, what made you what made you want to pick up the trumpet? Uh, Louis Armstrong. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, I saw him on the Ed Sullivan show and it's funny. I saw it. Like a couple of months after I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan in 1964. And everybody wanted to be John, Paul, George, Ringo. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be Lewis for some reason. I don't know why. It's not that I didn't dig the Beatles. I did. But there was something about Lewis's playing it was so joyful. And he was, you know, and it was so precise and just well done. And uh, I was like, man, I want to put on that tuxedo and put that little handkerchief in my pocket and grab that trumpet and go play <laughs> how, how, how old were you when you saw this um 10 10 wow yeah. so then when ten. how when do you start when you start well taking... it was funny at the same time my my grammar school um lavalette elementary um they decided to have a band program which is you know i mean looking back on it thank god they had a band program and unfortunately so many schools today don't you know um, but, but the drummer sucked, so he quit. Yeah. <laughs> he went to the Stone Pony, and they were giving out trumpets. <laughs> so I, I said, I'm going to play trumpet. You know, and that was that. Was that. Um, 
<laughs> You're, my uh, my grandfather was a trumpet player. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Was, Did it keep you up at night? No. So he, he he passed away. He pa- he passed away when I was two. So I've only heard the stories. But he had his own orchestra in the fifties and sixties. The the sidecar orchestra. Um, and sidecar. Side. 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 No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his his last name was Karstadt, but uh, he, yeah. he I guess to sound less Jewy, they made it. Uh, he, he turned it into sidecar. Was he Was he playing the Borscht Belt? <laughs> he played. The- you know what? You know it's very cool. I um. He he was sort of like I was saying. I I was telling someone uh, just recently. He he was sort of like he made it to like kind of the level that I did in comedy. Like he he did just enough to to be. I think to say he was a working musician. Right. But nobody knew who he was. But he had some like cool famous friends. Yeah. Um. My mom told me a story once that the phone rang. Well, I'm like it. your grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been in the sidecar orchestra. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. My mom told me once in the middle of dinner, the phone rang and he picked it up and he slammed it down. He was like, I have to go. It's an emergency. And he ran out and nobody <laughs> knew where he went. And then he came back hours later. And it turned out he was bailing Billy Holiday out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> it's a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah. I, I think yeah, it's yeah. got to be the Good coolest thing anybody in my family has that, ever done. That's awesome. That's awesome. But um, I told this story last week, but I, I recently did a show uh, in Pennsylvania, in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Pennsylvania. <laughs> there you are. At a place called Sunny Side, Sunny Brook Music Hall. Wow. It was a, it was um, a big band era music hall. I, think I played there once. Yeah, you probably, I did. you probably did. I was in a big band, and you, I think we played there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 has it been there like for years? It's and years? been there since the forties. Oh. They've got the posters yeah. of everybody who's. It was Duke Ellington yeah. and Sinatra and uh, Tommy Dorsey. All these, all these legends played there, and it's still got the original big, beautiful stage. They've got one of those, um, like, two-story church organs. Wow. Um, it's yeah. a very cool room. Yeah. And um, I called my mom before the show, and I was like, do you remember if Grandpa ever played this place? And she knew exactly what it was. That's so, really I, cool. yeah, I got to perform yeah. on the same stage. That's great. I love classic halls like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what, what's your favorite room? What's your, like the, the room that's like seeped with the most history that, that you just love? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, you know, first I have to say the stone pony. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, fortunately I, I am kind of part of that and, uh, it's really a great rock and roll room. It's amazing. It's really incredible. And um, and then, you know, I mean, the bottom line was a great place mm-hmm. in New York City. Um, the Agora Ballroom. There was one in – there were a couple in Ohio, one in Cleveland. That was a great place to play. Um, there was a classic room in L.A. called the Roxy. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was kind of, you know, for what it was, which was this kind of star-laden, the place where you went if you had a little buzz and the record company wanted to get you in front of some, you know, stars who were wasted, you know, <laughs> who didn't even, wouldn't absolutely remember you or your band or anything because they were just nodding out. Uh, but yeah, that was a great place to play too. But definitely, I mean, the Stone Pony is just it's classic, and the Beacon in New York, yeah, is a, is a great theater. The, be- the Beacon's theater. an amazing. The acoustics yeah. at the Beacon, yeah, are, are beautiful, unmatched, I think. And actually, um, the Capitol in Portchester mm-hmm. is a really interesting venue. I mean, it's been there for a long, long time. Um, over the last ten or fifteen years, it was reopened um, by a really great promoter who owns the Brooklyn Bowls and. Um, he does a festival. I think it's called Firefly down in Delaware. <laughs> oh, I was. I'm sorry. I was thinking uh, Firefly. I thought you were making yeah, Fry Fest. Fry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I was like, oh yeah, I, I think I've heard of that guy. Yeah. Where is he now? <laughs> Do they still have that show on MTV? Where are they now? Yeah. Where is that guy? He's probably loaded. I think no. I, yeah, I think he's at it. I think they. I think I was reading like just within the last couple weeks, maybe. He he got out of jail. Oh really? I I might be wrong. They should but. never let him out. Just on, just <laughs> for spite. <laughs> um, and and then you how do you, how do you make the transition from musician into concert promoter? You know, like everything else has happened in my life, it just happened. Um, I was literally sitting around thinking about what the hell I was going to do when I stopped playing because I also had a drug and alcohol problem. How about mm. that? Right. <laughs> and uh, oh, you're, you're the musician with the drug and alcohol. Oh yeah. Just, I'm the only <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> just heard, me. Heard about you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I'd, I'd gotten out of rehab and um, I kind of didn't know what to do. So I, I went back to school for a while. I actually finished college and then I got out and I was going to go to graduate school Um but I came back to Jer- I was I was living in Florida, and I came back to Jersey. And somebody said, a friend of mine said, "Why don't you start, you know, booking bands?" And I'd done a little bit of that. Um, and I said, "Well, okay." And then I forgot about it. Well, then one day, this person, she walks into my house, and she has business cards. And a checking, a little checkbook with a checking account. And it's and on the business cards, it says Legend Productions. And she goes, well, now you're in business. So that's literally how I started. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> you know, and, and I said, okay, <laughs> well, since I have a business card and a check, checking account, let's do it. So uh, I just started doing it. And I slept on couches for like two and a, two, three years. Because I was making like a hundred to two hundred dollars a week, and then um, it just started to get better. And uh, I met my future partner uh, in the company that we called Concerts East, mm-hmm. and uh, from that point, it just took off. And then we ended up with a company that was doing two to three hundred shows a year um, in seven states. And we ended up with a venue that I, I actually found. It was a place called Hunka Bunka Ballroom, and I turned it into oh, Starland. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. And I created Starland. And, uh, I've seen a lot of shows there. Yeah, yeah. And um, Starland was, you know, I mean, the concert company did fairly well, but Starland did great. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I, I could retire after that. 
And then I realized I couldn't <laughs> after I blew through money <laughs> like a drunken sailor. <laughs> um, do you remember the first band you booked? Yeah. Um, it was supposed to be Dramarama, mm-hmm. but it ended up being David Lee Roth. You mean at Starland or in general? No, in, in general. The first band that I actually booked was in high school. I was the sophomore class president at Point Pleasant Beach High School, and we had to raise money. So I said, let's do a concert. So I booked a band named Cobalt, which was a tribute band, but didn't know it. <laughs> they Because um, there was no title tribute band in those days. And they did, a, they did a ton of Johnny Winter. Okay. And they were great. Great band. Actually, the drummer went out to play with Johnny Winter, which oh, wow. was like a precursor to all of these musicians who were in great tribute bands who end up playing with the real band. Yeah. Um, and that's happened a lot. That's uh, always, that's always an amazing story. Yeah, it's great. But this was a, probably, this might've been the first one. And um, so, yeah, I, that was my first concert and we, uh, we did well and everybody was happy with it. So I kind of put that in the back of my mind, like, Oh, this is interesting. Maybe I'll do this someday. When you, when you start, promoting and booking shows because uh, I know how it is for comedians when somebody starts booking and producing. Do your musician friends uh, start becoming a pain in the ass or are you getting <laughs> phone call? Or are you getting <laughs> so the phone ringing off uh, the hook? When a, you, <laughs> can I take the fifth? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to name names. But. Yeah, I can't. Um, you know, I'll spare the names to protect the guilty <laughs> and my ass. <laughs> um, some of them, yeah. yeah. But, you know, in general, honestly, no. I mean, they're, you know, I, I've been friends with a lot of players for a long time. And, yeah, there's some people who think I could have done more for them, and I probably could have. But, you know, you know I was, you know, in my defense, people, um, I was kind of learning, you know, I had no experience. Right. I was learning this thing on the fly. You know, um, I had no idea what I was doing, really. I mean, I had an idea, you know, but no practical experience. I didn't work for anybody. You know, I didn't work for a concert promoter who knew what he was doing. I just observed and tried to do the best I could. And, you know, it was pretty freaky in a way, um, particularly when I put together Concerts East with Jerry Bacall. I mean, he he was much more and is much more of a businessman than I am. Um, he knows how to make money. And um, thank God for him. That's all I have yeah. to say. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he, he, you know, he had the kind of chutzpah to really go out there and, and beat, you know, and, and get to know the agents and deal with all the agents who are very difficult to deal with. Yeah. Um, and I, on the other hand, had a good eye, eye for venues and mm-hmm. bands and, and you know, I didn't mind working, you know, 16 hours a day. That didn't bother me. Um, so he, you know, he did what he did well and he let me do what I did well and we made a good team. And getting back to the, to the artists, um, you know, I did the best that I could at the time, but there were... You know, a lot of things came into play. Suddenly, politics were a thing in my life, you know? Yeah. I can't, you know, I, if I do this, what does this person say? Or what does this agent say? Or what does this venue say? And I have to make the money or they're going to throw me out. You know, I mean, 
And all those were things as a musician you don't think about. Right. You know, and it wasn't, you know, the only experience I had in business was playing Monopoly with my mother and her boyfriend. <laughs> that was, <laughs> as a kid, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> but it helped. You know? <laughs> so, I, you know, I just, you know, like most people, I did the best I could. Yeah. And, and I probably failed some people and I helped other people. It's, so. it's tough, though, because what I think what people, I think what artists can forget to realize sometimes is like it's as as the promoter or the booker your job is getting asses and seats you have to oh. sell as many tickets as possible and uh, i use that term all the time when i'm talking <laughs> to bands it's all about asses and seats that's all right. it you know like we're Comedy clubs now are being uh, they're giving headlining weekends to YouTube stars and TikTok comics who yeah. don't have the chops, who can't do an hour. Right. But sure. because they've got five million followers on Instagram or TikTok, they can fill up a club. And, you know, like a guy like me who's been doing this a long time and is decent at his craft i'm not selling tickets so um it's you have to sort of realize that that there is the business end of it well you know they don't call it the music business or the entertainment business for nothing yeah. right you know? yep. first of all um and yeah you know we live in america this is you know capitalism central right so if you don't under if you don't get that <laughs> You know, do something else. Yeah. Because um, that's where it's at. You know, I mean, you know, the, the Rolling Stones don't still make the money they do because they don't fill up the venues that they're playing. In. Right. That's the bottom line, you know. Yep. And, you know, and, and I, you know, I say that to people. I go, do you think the Rolling Stones are playing Giant Stadium because the promoter likes the Rolling Stones and yeah. he's a fan? <laughs> he believes. <laughs> yeah. He believes in them. He believes in them, you know. <laughs> no, they play there because they fill the damn place up and they put fucking asses in seats. Yeah. You know, big asses, small asses, nice asses. You know, <laughs> they put them in the fucking seats. And if you don't get that, you're not going anywhere, you know. Um, now, musicians don't like to hear that. No. You know, particularly good ones. Right. Who aren't putting a lot of asses in seats. And I, I sympathize with that. But, you know, I was fortunate that I, you know, I was in, I usually were in bands that were pretty popular. And you kind of get spoiled with that. I mean, with, with the, you know, when I was with Southside, when I joined the band, we were playing three nights a week at the Pony. Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Mm -hmm. And we on Tuesdays, we do two to 300 people on a Tuesday. That's amazing. On Thursdays, we do, you know, three to five, 600 people. On, on Sundays, it'd be packed. The room would be packed. And we did that for a year. And then we, you know, then our record came out and the band went out on the road. But with, you know, the Jukes didn't become popular. I mean, the Jukes didn't go on the road and get a record deal and didn't play three nights at the Pony because we weren't putting asses in the room. Right. You know, so I just tell them that and and, and they got to they got to get it. And unfortunately, and unfortunately, I mean, I've tried to put I try to put bands in situations where they'll succeed. 
because that doesn't do a band or me or the venue any good if you put a band in a situation where nobody's going to succeed, right? Or only one of the entities is going to succeed, right? Yeah. So yeah, and that's and not every artist is right for every show. No. Nope. Chris and I were just talking about this. He was just telling me right before we walked in. He was like, "I I might have something for you, but I'm not sure if you're right." Right. For you know, the room, and, and you can't take offense. You have to well, see. The thing is when. When when I say that, I think sometimes the artist immediately thinks, eh, he doesn't give a shit about me. Blowing me off. Yeah, he's blowing me off. And that is absolutely not the case. And the artist thinks they can play anywhere. Right. Because they're good. You know? And yes, you're good, but in you this, can't play anywhere. In this particular yeah. case, I was blowing him off. <laughs> <laughs> but I hear You're that. fucking evil. <laughs> I never do that. <laughs> I never blow anybody off. Oh. I just ghost them. <laughs> That's is, is that the new blow off ghosting? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. When did that term come, you know, become popular? Um, do you know? I don't know. <laughs> do you know? I have no idea. It's yeah. probably a Call of Duty thing. You know, these kids on the. Recently, right? I don't. Yeah, fairly I think good. it's more recent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, I should mention, I can't remember if I mentioned this up front, but for the uh, for Light of Day uh, show dates and lineups, you can go to lightofday.org. Um, so uh, tell me about, so how, how do you end up, how do you guys go on tour with uh, Bruce? Um, well, the Miami Horns went on tour. Yeah. Yeah. And basically, I mean, the first time we did... Um, John, well, first of all, Bruce, you know, Bruce and Stephen were the songwriters for the Jukes, mm -hmm. essentially, um, which didn't didn't hurt. No. <laughs> um, and so Bruce would, would come in and play with us on, you know, occasionally. Um, so that wasn't unusual. And um, when, when we got signed and we went out on the road, Johnny occasionally would have vocal issues. Mm hmm. So a couple of times we had to sit home for two and three months. And that was also that coincided with when Bruce was going through his um, legal battle with his former agent. I'm not agent, his manager, mm -hmm. Mike Appel, mm -hmm. where Appel was suing him and uh, because, you know, Bruce had gotten basically fired him and took John Landau on and. And Appel said, you can't do that and blah, blah, blah. But so he was in court with Mike Appel, so he couldn't record. So the only way he could make money was just go on the road. So he just went on the road every time he had the – he could. His, every time his agent could put, throw some gigs together, Bruce would go out and do them. And one of the periods when Johnny had some vocal issues coincided with this tour that, that Bruce was going to do. And uh, – he just said, hey, you, you guys want to come out on the road with me? And it was kind of like, nah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and so that was it, you know. What pe what period? Uh, 76. 76? Yeah. So That's that it was started. like, um, what was that? It was like when Darkness came out? Well, it was before. It was in between Born to Run and Darkness. Okay. That was the lawsuit period. Okay. Um, hence the name of the album, Darkness on the Edge of Town. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, and it was it was great. I mean, you know, playing with the E Street Band was was awesome, and um, I, I liken it. 
I, I, I remember specifically the first time we were actually on stage in front of an audience. It was at the, what became the Count Basie Theater. Mm-hmm. I think it was called the Carlton. Carlton. Then, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, or it could have been the Mammoth Arts Center, one of the two. Um, but um, I think we were doing 10th Avenue Freeze Out, and he was counting it off. And I felt like a ski jumper. <laughs> yeah. Really. I mean, the energy was freaky. It was freakish, man. It was, and it was like a vortex. You're just getting sucked into a dark star. You know, it's, and I, I felt like that, you know, when you push off, you don't have ski poles, there's nothing to stop you. You're just going for it. And it was just one of the most, I mean, I, I, when I talk about it, I still get goosebumps. Yeah, I, I the, could see that you're. Yeah, it, it was one of the most exciting things I ever experienced that in that, First count off. I'll never forget it. And then we played 10th Avenue, and then it was like, okay, yeah, we, we can do this. <laughs> and it was great. It was great. Do you ever get tired, though, of like the three, four hour shows where you ever like looking at your watch, like, fucking come well, on, Bruce? No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Another story. Nah, nah. But actually, the reality was we watched most of it. Yeah. Because we were, were only, only doing, doing you know, five or six songs at that time with them. Maybe seven. And uh, so we were watching it, and I never tired of watching it. Yeah. Yeah, it was really great to watch. Yeah. No, I, I can't I can't imagine. How, how um, when did you first start see, uh, seeing Bruce, bumping into him, like in the Jersey Shore scene? 69, 70. Yeah. Um, I went to see Steel. Well, actually, yes, I went to see Steel Mill. Where that was his uh, original band? Right. It, it was... It was him, Steve Van Zant, Vinny Lopez, and um, and Danny Federici. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the steel mill that I saw. I think. Um, and actually, I saw them. It was probably seventy for the nineteen seventy for the first time, and it was actually at the classic show in Middletown, where there was a riot because the Middletown police pulled the plug at ten a.m. It was at a place called the Clearwater Swim Club on Route 36 mm-hmm. in the in Atlantic Highlands. It's not there anymore. Um, and there was like, there was the classic that. riot. And that's where Danny Federici got his nickname Phantom Dan because he pushed, allegedly, he pushed an Alltech speaker cabinet onto the, <laughs> onto the middle, a couple of Middletown policemen <laughs> and then ran away <laughs> and disappeared. <laughs> Well, we've all been and there. Phantom. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, Vinny wasn't playing drums um, with the band because Vinny, they were doing the show to raise money to get Vinny out of jail. Vinny Lopez oh. <laughs> was, was, was in jail in Richmond for something. <laughs> That's funny. So, that was before GoFundMes. You yeah. Had to- well, this was the GoFundMe. <laughs> yeah. You know, what was freaky about it was there were so many people there. You know, I, you know, I got, I was like, we were stunned at how many people were there. I think there were a couple of thousand. Yeah. You know? It was crazy. And it was like, wow, Bruce is really popular. Holy shit. You know? Um, and uh, I remember I saw him that night. And um, he actually even, he had a lead singer at the band at the time. A guy by the name of Robin Thompson, who was from Virginia. Mm-hmm. Who I got to know later on pretty well uh, before he passed away. Great, 
great singer, had his own band down there. Actually, his song, Sweet Virginia Breeze, is the state song <laughs> of Virginia. Oh. Yeah. Um, but so he was kind of Bruce's lead singer at that time. But yeah, the band was amazing. And I remember being struck um, that, man, I, I actually went back. I think it was that night when we ran through the woods to get away from the police and everything. <laughs> um, I, I went to this coffee house on Point Pleasant Beach where my musician friends were hanging out. And I said, you know, man, they don't have the songs, you know, because I'm, I'm comparing them to the Rolling Stones. My yeah. favorite. <laughs> they don't have the songs like the Stones. And, you know, I don't you know, I don't think Bruce plays as good as Mick Taylor, but there's something about him. That's so rock and roll that if he doesn't make it, we're all fucked. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that, if you don't make it, we don't make it. You know, he's uh, he's an underrated guitar player. Don't yeah. you think? Yeah. He's pretty good. I remember yeah. years ago, Rolling Stone put out a list of the hundred greatest guitar players ever. He wasn't on the list. Yeah. And I was seeing him that night at Giant Stadium. And I remember I was on the phone with my friend. Like, I just like we read the list. We were like, Bruce couldn't crack the top hundred. And then that night he played um, Because of the Night mm -hmm. and absolutely shredded the solo. Yes. And I remember turning to my friend and was like, he saw the list and he's pissed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you write Jan Winner? <laughs> Asshole. Yeah. They get Jan. I feel like Jan's gotten yeah, a lot wrong. Jan. So, because, you know, that that's a, a that's a boy. There's there's a boys club that he's a part of that kind of controlled rock and roll. Isn't it insane? Controls when the rock and roll. The Hall, hall of, of Fame. fame when you look at the Hall of Fame and yeah. some of the some of the bands that that aren't in there, it's it's mind boggling. Well, you know, Hall of Fames are it's all it's political. But everything yeah. everything in life everything is political. Is right. But it's kind of bullshitty. It's all bullshitty. Yes. As far as I'm concerned. But when I, when I think that there's a rock and roll Hall of Fame without the New York Dolls, yeah, yeah. but with ABBA, yeah. <laughs> well, how about you know Dick Dale is not in the Hall of Fame. Oh, really? The surf, you know, yeah, the guy yeah, who yeah, created yeah. surf guitar, yes. the guy created who created genre of music, yeah. along with Leo Fender, the hundred watt Fender amp, which is the classic rock and roll amp. Yeah, I mean Leo and Dick Dale created that. That amp changed rock and roll. That's amazing because it was so power. It was it was powerful enough to. And this was before PA's became, uh, you know, the the kinds of technological marvels that they are today. Um, you had to have something that would cut through everything, and that's why they developed that amp. You know, so he developed a whole style of guitar playing. He developed the classic rock amp mm -hmm. that changed rock and roll, um, the, the, the presentation of rock and roll, the sound of rock and roll. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. So that's amazing. They Jan, even if you're out there, please <laughs> fix that. Yeah. Because it's a sin. That's a real sin. Yes. Of the two or 300 people that are going to hear this, I'm pretty sure Jan's one of them. Yes, so. he is. <laughs> I know you're out there. <laughs> I have a fender. 
<laughs> he probably has like 600 watt Fender amps in his house. <laughs> Originals, you know. Yeah. Signed by Dick Dale and Leo Fender. You know? <laughs> what um, I'm, you mentioned the Stones were your favorite band. Yeah. And I'm in full agreement with you there. Amazing. Yes. And they continue to be amazing. There's, there's still, it's weird. Um, I, cause they're, you know, they, it's so much money to go see them now. And I remember I was the last tour I wish I had now that, you know, Charlie Watts passed away. I wish yeah. I had gone, but I've seen him enough times. But it was like, it was over a thousand face value for decent seats. And, um, I don't know why that doesn't bother me as much as it that as it is with Bruce right now. Oh, you know why? It's because because <laughs> the Stones of all I guess because the Stones have sort of always presented themselves as we're gonna rip you off. We're gonna I mean not rip you off. No. You get your money's worth, yeah. but. I guess the Stones have sort of always presented themselves as like, we don't really care about keeping prices down for the right. fans. They presented um, themselves as a business. Yes. You know, as well as, a, you know, the, the crazy thing about the Rolling Stones, there's still this little fucking band in the fucking garage. Yeah. You know, they still play like that. Mm -hmm. And they, they play like that in, in stadiums. Yep. You know? Sloppy. <laughs> Sloppy. You know, sometimes you go, they suck. They're horrible. And then sometimes you go, oh, now, now they're the Rolling Stones. Yeah. This is amazing. You know, and that's, you know, that's kind of the beauty of rock and roll. It's not, you know, I never thought rock and roll was supposed to be precise, like a, like a, like a jazz band or a classical orchestra. You know, right. it's to me, my, I think that why I like them is because it is sloppy yeah, and it's precarious and it's every, every moment it, you know, you think it's going to fall apart. You know? Yeah, and there's just something I really love about that. Yeah, and especially when it, and then it locks in. Yep, and then it's magical. You know, so, but you know, I think, like you were saying, I mean, you know, Bruce has presented himself a certain way. Yeah, the Rolling Stones have presented themselves another way. Right, um, and that's what you know, as you said, he, you know, he's kind of presented himself as this working class guy. But more than that, and this is what I say to people, because I think Bruce deserves to get whatever he can out of tickets. Why should he, at this point in his life, not get what other artists right. on his level are getting? Right. And there's not many. And there's not uh, many. Yeah. Right. And the reality is, for 40 some years, he's undervalued his tickets. Yes. Yeah. So all you guys out there who have paid much less than you should have paid for those Springsteen tickets for 40 fucking years. Shut the fuck up. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't think I ever, uh, I don't think I ever paid more face value. I don't think I ever paid more than a hundred bucks to yeah. see Bruce. No, maybe one fifty. I mean, give the guy uh, a fucking break. Yeah. Let him, you know, he's, you know, he's stockpiling for his family. Because, they, you know, they're going to have to hide from a fucking horrible world so, <laughs> somewhere. So um, I have here in front of me, I'm going to put a picture up when we post this. But I have uh, the Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes vinyl in front of me. 
Uh, this time it's for real. Um, it's a great band photo out front of the whole band. I notice everybody in the band uh, is wearing a jacket and a shirt, except for you. Uh, you're just wearing a jacket. Yes. The, what? Uh, what did 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 we run at? Like, was the budget not cover? No, a shirt for no. you. <laughs> the jukes were. Listen, I only got paid one hundred and fifty dollars a week in the band, so you know, I, I actually, I Bruce used to bring me bags of clothing. That's amazing. Yes, <laughs> he's he's a generous. Well, yeah, yeah, he brought me all the shit that he'd want to wear. Yeah, you know? well, <laughs> but it was fine by me. A lot of I sleeveless it, denim you know? vests. Yeah, I was before that. It was before, <laughs> long before that. But no, it was, it was cool. He'd bring every, you know, a couple of times he brought me packs of clothes because <laughs> I had no money, you know? Yeah. He knew that. Um, but I, I think Stephen, for some reason, Wanted me not to wear a shirt. <laughs> and it was 17 degrees. It was in the winter, dead of winter. It was 17 degrees. It was snowing. Right? Mm -hmm. Not hard, but it was snowing. And we were in this little cul-de-sac um, where the New York Mounted Police Department would take their horses to shit. <laughs> so I sprained my ankle on a ball of horse shit the size of a bowling ball that was frozen. And they were all frozen. I'll never I'll never forget that. So it's dark, you know. I'm free. I'm sick, by the way. I have 102 fever, and I also have a model. In the in the little um, trailer that we would all go to and warm up. Mm -hmm. um, her name was Karen Edenstein. Um, I don't know if well, you guys are too young to remember this, but there was this. Um, she was not a supermodel, but she was kind of the next rung down, mm -hmm. and she was from Ocean Grove, absolutely gorgeous. And she um, was there was an ad, a Newport cigarette ad. Big billboards all over the country and every magazine, and a girl was drinking water from a hose. Now you can you can look it up. Okay, that's her. Okay, she was also in some um, I think uh, some out big liquor uh, ads and. Isn't that amazing, though, just yeah. the, the power of music that you were making $150 yes. a week and right. you had a model waiting for you yes. in the trailer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you get on the phone and call your mom like, thanks for buying me the trumpet and paying for the lessons. Yes. And yes. yes. <laughs> it was she was gorgeous. She was really gorgeous. And but, you know, she didn't she picked me up. Mm -hmm. She didn't know I was in a band. I was getting on a public service. There were buses in those days yeah. that like normal people would take. And there was a bus from Asbury to New York. And I'd gone to New York to buy some suits for the Jukes because we always, that's her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Yep. Oh. That's yeah. kind of iconic. Good right? for you. Yeah. Yeah. Were you the hose? What? Were you the hose? Yeah. I was the hose. <laughs> I had one, <laughs> you know, 
Karen, I'm sorry, but I have to- <laughs> I've been looking for you for years. <laughs> but, but you know, she was she was in Europe a lot because she was she had big tits. Yeah. And that was unusual for models in the States at that point. Right. You know, Twiggy, uh, you know, and, and Kate Moss. Were, yep. She had beautiful, big tits. And so she, Europe loved her. They're smart over there. They're smart over there. <laughs> they know a beautiful woman when they see one. Americans, you got your heads up your ass. You know, but it was... She, I got on this bus and the bus was packed. We were coming back from New York and I'm looking for a seat and suddenly I see one empty seat and there's this gorgeous girl and she's eating a sandwich and she's so gorgeous. Like I'm terrified to sit next to her. So I just kind of freeze and I'm looking at her and she looks up at me and she goes, would you like a bite of my tomato sandwich? That's how I met her. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> that was it. That was it. So we went out for a year, but we didn't see each other all that much because I was on the road and she was in Europe and all of that. But it was great. That's. Um, I went to a Johnny Casablanca party, and, you know, Eileen Ford's party and all that kind of stuff. Oh. houses in New York and people strung out on everything imaginable and models naked and rough well, it, life it's i was gonna yeah. say it sounds like a rough life yeah it was horrible it's so like the comedy life that yeah, it's just like yeah just like when you, when, you, you, when you play vinnie's don't you have a lot of those models <laughs> hanging around in the back room at vinnie's and point pleasure yeah. oh he you know, he, he doesn't use it's, he doesn't use me really our, our <laughs> fuck that guy <laughs> i'm with you there you want me to talk to him uh listen <laughs> I've had, um, he uh, is so steadfast in his refusal to work me that I actually have come around to respecting it. <laughs> I've, uh, I've were had, you an abused child? <laughs> I've had I've had four or five pretty well-known national headliners request me to open for them. And one of them told me it was the fastest no he's ever received. Wow. That's <laughs> harsh. Show business. That's harsh. Uh, listen, it is what it is, right? You, you got it. It's only based on his act. <laughs> it's only, oh, it's only so based on all the information. With my promoter eyes on. <laughs> Would I say, you know, you'd be like, that's one of the I, guys I really, I I really got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't oh, think sorry, I got to get out of here. It's, it's late. You'd say you didn't think I was right for that venue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but listen, you know, you got to go. You got to go to the rooms that. that How about Vinny Brand? Vinny Brand, a uh, very good friend, uses me all the time. That's my yeah. I got my start at Stress Factor. Yeah, he's my guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like Vinny oh, a lot. I'm going to yeah. text him. And yeah, him yeah, yeah. Yeah, tell him. Tell yeah. Him. Um, you want to call him now? <laughs> <laughs> we can wait till after the show. Um, good. Man, that's I'm, amazing. I'm glad he takes care of you. Vinny's very, Vinny's very good to both of yeah? us. Yeah. Great. Um, well, he has, he has class and he has taste. Yeah. And he knows. He knows his business. <laughs> we, yeah, he and does. And being deaf doesn't hurt. No, it's no. Acts like ours. <laughs> deaf, dumb, and mute. <laughs> um, I love that you went from standing around frozen horse shit into a trailer with a model waiting yeah. for you. Like, that's just that's just with, the entire. With a, with a 102 fever. 
on top of it. You're right. It was, it was, it was the worst and the best. <laughs> all in one night. In one yeah, night. that's great. <laughs> um, all right. So tell me about this year's Light of Day concerts. I almost forgot <laughs> why we were here. We're here for a reason. <laughs> um, okay. Can I look at the notes? Yeah, no, of I'm, course. I'm joking. I don't, I don't need the notes. Um, so it starts on January 7th in Philadelphia mm-hmm. at uh, World Cafe Loft. And then um, fast forward to January 11th on Wednesday night at the City Winery in New York City. And that's going to be kind of a Clarence Clemens birthday tribute because that is Clarence's birthday, January 11th. Mm -hmm. And Jared Clemens and his band will kind of be hosting the night there. And then on the 12th, we start in Asbury Park. And we're in Asbury on the 12th, 13th, 14th, and 15th. Um, We're at all the venues in Asbury, uh, Stone Pony, the Wonder Bar, Asbury Lanes, um, McLoon Supper Club, Langosta Lounge, Asbury Park Yacht Club, the Watermark, um, House of Independence. And on the 14th, that's what we call Bob's Birthday Bash. The main event, that's at the Count Basie Theater in Red Bank on the 14th. That's a Saturday night. We're also at the Count Basie Theater in Red Bank on the Friday, called Friday Night at the Basie, uh, with Tusk, the great uh, Fleetwood Mac uh, tribute band. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd like to see that. Yeah. And I actually used to date the lead singer, Kathy Phillips. Oh, yeah. Gorgeous girl. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to say anything about it. <laughs> she, she could I be out waiting. there. So she's great. She got married and forgot all about me. So <laughs> left me in the dust. Is Thanks, she, she's not in the band anymore? Oh, yeah. Oh, she's she a lead is? singer. Yeah. She's a lead singer. And she does a brilliant job. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. The whole band is brilliant. And um, they're going to be doing a special tribute to Christine McVie, who passed away recently. Yeah. Um, that night at the Basie. I'd like to see that. Yeah, they're great. They're yeah. great. And another great band is opening uh, called Late for the Sky, uh, the celebration of the music of Jackson Brown featuring Jake Thistle. He's a local guy who's really, he's 18 years old. He's great looking, which doesn't hurt in rock no. and roll. And uh, really, really good songwriter, really good vocalist. Doesn't that make you mad when you see an 18-year-old that's got that much together, though? No. <laughs> makes me- I love it. I love it. <laughs> I wasn't, but, yeah. <laughs> but no, no, no. I'm, I'm good with it. As a matter of fact, it really, 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 especially on top of it, he's just a decent human good being. Dude. Yeah, he's a good, good guy. Good family, you know. Yeah. All the, all the good stuff. And I wish, you know, I hope he goes all the way because, you know, there are a lot of shitty people in, <laughs> yeah. in our business, yes. you know. Yeah. And he's one of the good guys. So I hope he really uh, goes far. But anyway, so you should go to that show. Yeah. It'd be great. Yeah. I would, I would, uh, I'd love to see, uh, I've heard of Tusk too. Yeah. And they're by far the best Fleetwood Mac tribute out there. And, uh, when, when you're looking at Kathy do her thing. Did, now, do they do like all the errors? Do they do like, uh, is there any Peter Green Fleetwood Mac in there? I think they do on occasion um, because their guitar player is good. Yeah. You know, he's really good. So I think they do. It's kind of, it, 
I think I've heard it in a medley of sorts. They might do a medley from that Peter Green era. Yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Peter Green Fleetwood Mac uh, lately. Please. I think that I think it's turning into my favorite era. Yeah, of that band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's you know, but I, I wasn't aware of them at that point. And I was never really, a, I became a, a, a Peter Green Free, a Fleetwood Mac era fan later. Yeah. Um, and I was never really a super Fleetwood Mac fan. I'm, but I'm kind of, the more I listen to them, the more I kind of dig them. Yeah. You know? I mean, they're great, you know, they had a two or three records that were really great. Sometimes it just takes you getting old enough or wise enough to appreciate. Like I said for years that I could never get into Bob Dylan. I, I loved his songwriting. Obviously, I loved when people covered his songs, but listening to him, I could never. And then um, sometime in my mid 30s, something came on and I was like, oh, that's actually pretty good. So I started working backwards. And now I love it. Have I, you ever seen Bob Dylan? I have seen him. Yeah, I've yeah. seen him a couple of times. How do you feel about that? It's, uh, you know, it's in, it's tough because he, he changes the arrangements to the song so much that by the time you even realize what the hell song it is, it's almost over. <laughs> so I think um, that's the point. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. You see? But um, I've what? I've seen I think I've seen him two or three times. I remember once mm -hmm. just being really knocked over. And then the other times it was just OK. But one time it was one of the shows I remember was fantastic. Yeah. You know, I I um I had the pleasure and the honor of doing like five Bob Dylan shows mm -hmm. as a concert promoter. One of them was at um, in Stanhope. Uh, there's a big park or do you know the name? Do you remember the name of that place in Stanhope? Um, Waterloo Village. Mm -hmm. oh, thank God. Um, <clears throat> I take my prevision so I, <laughs> I can remember things still. But anyway, so there was there's this big park in Stanhope called Waterloo Village. And um, for two or three years, we held the contract there. My company, Concert Seas, held the contract doing shows there. And there was a big outdoor field that held about 16,000 people. And then there was a, a tented area, kind of a tented amphitheater with a lawn that did about 2,500 people. And we were doing both. Mm -hmm. So we did a Bob Dylan Phil S show out in the field. And it was sold out. Now, the day of the show, it's storming. Mm. I mean, it's the grayest, darkest, most lightningest, stormy thing I've ever seen. So I'm in the middle of that field uh, during a break in the rain with my partner, Jerry, and we're standing there and we're just looking up at the clouds and we're like, we're fucked. This isn't happening. And so we're just figuring out how much money we're going to lose, you know. <laughs> Uh, with a cancellation or the postponement. And all of a sudden, behind us, you hear, don't worry, boys, I got it covered. And it's Bob. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he was just walking, a big, big cigar. He was just walking around. He had a top hat on, had a frock coat on. He looked like an elf with a frock <laughs> coat and a top hat. <laughs> and, and he just had this weird little, like, smirky grin on his face. And he goes, don't worry, I got it covered. 
And then he just turns around and walks away back to the bus. So he was walking around the field behind us. And I don't know how he knew it was us, that we were the promoters. I guess you could tell. Because <laughs> yeah, you're the ones yeah. that looked like you were shitting your pants. Yeah, probably. exactly. And staring at the sky and looking down and <laughs> just standing there. And uh, that was my Bob Dylan experience. <laughs> that was my Bob Dylan experience. Did it, did the, yeah. it worked out? Yeah, it worked out. He was right. <laughs> He did have a connection. So. Were you able to tell what songs he was playing or were the arrangements? Then, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I've seen Bob, besides the shows that I've done with him, I've seen him probably 10 times. Yeah. And, you know, you know, even when he was playing keyboards on the side, which was really weird, but uh, I love him. Yeah. And, you know, I know what the songs are when he's playing them. Sometimes, most of the time. Yeah. And, you know, they're his songs, man. And I'm there. I'm there to experience what he's going to do with them. You know, some sometimes I like it more than others, but I'm always intrigued by what he does, even if it's like, uh, you know, unintelligible. Yeah. I just, you know, I think about it and I find some value in it, you know, and the songs are so great. And what he brings to them, you know. Are, is just so classic and and deep, yes, and rich, and even when it's not, it is, you know, because <laughs> it's still authentic. Yeah, because it's authentic. Because yeah. it's him, you know. And you know, I mean, I was willing to watch Miles Davis when his back would, was turned to the audience all night. Yeah, didn't say a word. Just would count the band off. They'd play for an hour and fifteen minutes, then he'd leave. Now, and he wouldn't look at the audience. And I'm like, oh, this is so fucking cool. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could do that. You know? right? But, you know, the point was, this is my music. I want to I want to I want to look at my band while I'm playing my music and I get it. And, you know, this is these are Bob songs. I want to play them how I want to play them. And I'm going to make you, you know, either you listen and you pay attention or you don't. Yeah. And that's up to you. You know, so that, to me, that's an artist. Yeah. Yep. It's interesting. It's actually I got into the later era of him first, and that's what made me work backwards. Like band, uh, like uh, no, like, Love like and his nineties. Yeah, yeah, like um, I think it was the Time Out of Mind album, whichever Mind. one had Love Sick yeah. on it, which is my favorite. Awesome, Dylan. Awesome. So that whole album. Uh, yeah. beginning to end is just a masterpiece. Oh, it's amazing. And once Standing in the Doorway was yep. on that, yep. which is the saddest song I've ever heard in my entire life. And when I get depressed, I'll play it 10 times in a row. Yeah. Um, but that was the first album that I ever really got. And then I was like, all right, let me now work backwards. Well, it's, I mean, first of all, you, I commend you for discovering Dylan in his later years. Yeah. Because he wrote some of his best stuff in his later years. Yes. And unfortunately, you know, culturally, it wasn't as important. Mm -hmm. But artistically, it was every bit as good as, as his early stuff. And, um, and you know, it's, it's a shame where people don't realize that. No, even, even yeah. the stuff he was doing in the 2000s, um, there was that album, I think it was called Modern Times Modern, yeah. with Someday yeah. Baby. Yeah. That album was brilliant. Yeah. And uh, 
I, I, and it had like such a, um, like a swamp rock boogie sound to it. He was using some of the uh, Los Lobos guys yeah, in his yeah, band. Yeah. Oh, I love that band. Well, I mean, the, the, see, I didn't, I didn't like the, the, when, you know, the story about Bob, why he started touring constantly? No. Basically, he had a dream. This was like in the, in the mid to late 80s. He had a dream and Muddy Waters came to him in his dream. And he said, Bob, you're a guitar player. Go out and play. So Bob woke up and he said, well, Muddy told him to go out and play. I'm going out and play. And he never, you know, he didn't stop touring for 30 years. Pretty, he still tours pretty Because Muddy didn't tell him when to stop. Never told him when to stop. <laughs> no. No. John Lee Hooker came to him in another dream and said, what are you, an idiot? But, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but, you know, it was, um, <laughs> and he started touring. And he, it was like the, the tour that never ended, basically. Yeah. Um, and sometimes he'd play arenas, sometimes he'd play theaters. And he was he was being a blues musician. You, blues musicians play. Right. Eddie King they played. Played till they died. Buddy Guide played. All those guides played, like he said, till they died. And, um, and he realized that that was his call. You know, he was called to do that. So he did it. And sometimes, it, you know, and his bands varied over the years. Like the first band he had was with G.E. Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was 88. Yeah. And didn't like, didn't like that. For, it, I mean, G.E. is a great guitar player. But for my taste, he plays too much for Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan liked him at the time. So who am I? Right. But, I liked it when he was with people like Doyle Bramel, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I forget who was playing bass. I mean, I mean those guys—the stand-up bass and just the more understated, swampy yeah, kind, you know, that. Uh, roots kinds of players. Those were the guys that I really keyed into when he when when he was touring. Yeah, and I'm glad he finally ended up with those guys, those kind of guys around him. Yeah. Because that's what he deserves to play. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're a fun band. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, listen, Tony, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for coming on. Go to lightofday.org. Lightofday.org. Now, also, just so you folks know out there, we are going to be going on sale with all of our club shows that uh, aren't free because you can't sell a show that's free. Can't sell tickets um, on Saturday. <clears throat> so, again, everything's going to be posted at lightofday.org, and we'll be on our Light of Day uh, Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and no, you, nev- and you never know who drops into these shows, right? Like, well, well, Yeah, well, we're not going to say that because we don't know. We actually don't know. Right. Um, I mean, Bruce has played our main event show um, probably half of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the last 23 years. and um, But we do have somebody interesting who's going to be headlining our show at the Count Basie on Saturday, January 14th. And that is you. No, it's not you. <laughs> Are you volunteering? I actually got to. You have to get rid of John Waite then. <laughs> you can give food poisoning or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, John Waite. 
Mm-hmm. A great singer songwriter who was in the babies and who was in bad English and who had that massive 80s hit that got played ad nauseum uh, called Missing You. Missing You. It was yeah. a great song. It though. was a great song. Yeah. I saw him open for Meatloaf. Oh, God. 10 years ago, 15 years ago, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. This is, um, I like your method of talking as far away from the mic as possible, Uh. but also (laughs) just barely being audible. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) My style. Was I, am I close enough? You're perfect. I feel like we didn't even, that went really fast. I feel like there's a lot of knowledge here. We might have to do a part two one day. We'd we'd get love the, to have, have you the rest back. out of them. Oh, yeah. yeah, fun. Hold them up by the ankles and you have to shake talk those to my stories agent. out. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I know your agent. But anyway, lightofday.org, um, Light of Day Winterfest twenty three, um, Light of Day Foundation utilizes the awesome power of music in its twenty three year effort and in its battle fighting Parkinson's, ALS, and PSP. And hoping that in our lifetime, those diseases are cured. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, this so is, that's uh, what we do. That's why you're going. Even, you know, it's not because of the great music. It's not because of the great socialization, all of your light of day friends that you haven't seen all year. It's not because you might meet a girl and leave your wife that you can't stand. It's because of our, you know, our, our purpose. And we want to we want to cure these diseases. We want to find therapies for these diseases. If we can't cure them, they're effective in our lifetime. I don't want to die with getting back to the death theme. Yeah. Right. I don't want to die. Circle. Uh, I don't want to die with this not happening. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make it happen. So we either have to find a cure or just figure out a way to keep you alive. (laughs) Well, the the pharmaceutical companies would love to find a way to keep you alive till you're 100 taking their drugs. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for sitting in. Do you have anything Thanks. coming up you want to promote? I do. Uh, Saturday, I'll be with the legendary, the Reverend Bob Levy down in Vineland, him and Kevin Brennan show, and uh, a lot of privates. This is the the month of privates for Christmas. So uh, New Year's, I'll be at Comedy Works out in Bristol. Two shows. Come on out. And come on out to Pennsylvania for New Year's. Why not? <laughs> um, all right. And you can come see me uh, December 23rd, Friday, December 23rd, um, Laugh It Up Poughkeepsie. And December 28th, I'm headlining Vinnie Brand's Famous Stress Factory. Hell yeah. Oh, really? World famous. According on the 28th? To on the 28th. December? Yes. You're around? Yeah. Well, I'll leave you yeah, tickets. I should be around. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Tony, thank you so much. We'd thank love you. to have you back. Chris is right. I feel like we barely scratched the surface, but um, we'll see. A lot see more you. sex to get into. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So you're yeah. all about the supermodels. Oh, yeah. Well. Yes. Uh, it was better than Bobby Bandiera's uh, sex story. The, the teabagging story, which is. Oh, we'll, God. We'll tell you all fair. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him after the interview, I was like, do you want me to edit that out? And he was like, no, it was my life. I lived it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> If you really want to get me into the scatology of the whole thing, I can do that. Well, we'll save that because that's part. there too. <laughs> we'll save that for part two. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>